Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Joshua 2. And keep your Bible open to the book of Joshua, and we'll probably spend a little bit of time in Hebrews also. Joshua 2, that's where we'll start. As always, we begin with prayer. This series is on the fact that God uses people and he uses things that I never suspected. And we're going to find those things out in this series. Today we're going to look at the life of Rahab, a nobody, bottom of the barrel, bottom of the level in terms of social status and all those things. And yet, we talk about her in the church and they talk about her in the synagogues. So significant a person was she. As always we pray. Of course there are endless people for whom we should pray. I'll give you a few moments of silence where you're seated. And then we'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Bow with me please. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for your presence, for the privilege of living in a country such as ours. We are safe and secure, have a reasonably stable government. We've got it pretty good here, thank you. We pray for those in our world who are not as fortunate as us. We pray that you would protect them. Protect them from corrupt governments from those in authority that have an evil bent. We pray that we would be able to offer some help, guidance and wisdom and foodstuffs and maybe armaments. We pray for the willingness to share what we have with others. Help us to resist that tendency to just close ourselves off from the world. We know with great power comes great responsibility. You have given us great power, Father. We pray that you would help us to use it wisely as a force for good, as a force against evil, as a force for justice and freedom. We know that even within our midst, our people that are struggling and dealing with life and death issues, we know that we have people in our child care that struggle against loss and cancers and those things. In our own city, we struggle with the loss of life from senseless violence. Help us, Father. Help us to make changes that need to be changed. And look, not just at simple issues, but at greater issues. We pray that as a people, we can make changes that would make a difference. We pray for our first responders, soldiers, policemen, medical workers, all of those that put themselves in harm's way to serve others. Protect them. Use them to bring peace and justice. Comfort their families in their times of separation and even loss. Father, 
Father, we ask for mercy for our own sin. It's easy to point out the sin of others. But sometimes our own sin is just as pervasive. The sin of apathy, of bias and prejudice, of lust. Just of an unconcern for others. Forgive us. Father, give us boldness to speak the word of Jesus, to bring up the way you can work in people's lives and in conversations. Help us to be a light for good. Help us to be willing to get involved in people's lives and make a difference. Father, again, thank you for all this that we have. Everything that is worth having is gift from you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God uses people. Of course he does. Who else is he going to use? There is a recurring theme through Scripture, and it is one of the validations of Scripture being true, and that is that God uses just about anyone at his disposal. I remember reading this years ago that the Bible is different from most religious books. In most religious books that promote a particular kind of faith, there's all these great stories of great people doing great things, and they're the good guys. But the Bible is full of stories about the bad guys doing good things. Of God using people that are not of any status, of not of any education or particular spiritual level. And he uses them anyway. And it's more about who God is and what he wants to do than about us at all. And that validates something of scripture. Because it's a book that doesn't glorify those without titles. But it glorifies a God that uses people without titles. So today we talk about Rahab, the prostitute. You know the story. So we're going to watch a video today. And I know Debbie cringes because it's a YouTube video. So if there is a crazy commercial that comes up, it's not her fault. Blame it on the preacher. But Debbie's going to play this video and hopefully it'll be without event. In today's video, we're going to explore the story of Rahab, the prostitute mentioned in the Bible. This story, full of twists and surprises, brings an unexpected lesson for all of us. So stay with us and don't miss the curiosity we'll reveal at the end of the video. Shall we go? Before we delve into the story of Rahab, it's important to understand the context in which she finds herself. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho, around 1400 BC, a time when the city was about to be invaded by the Israelites, led by Joshua. In this scenario, the inhabitants of Jericho were fearful of the advancing Israelite army and its miracles. Joshua then summons two soldiers from the people of Israel and gives them the mission to spy on the city of Jericho. The two spies then set off for Jericho to collect information about the local defense. They enter the city and stay at Rahab's house, a woman who worked as a prostitute. Despite her reputation, Rob sees the opportunity to change her fate and decides to help the spies, even at the risk of being punished for treason. The soldiers then begin to gather information about the army, its quantity, and its techniques. When the authorities in Jericho discover the presence of the Hebrew spies, the king of Jericho sends soldiers to search the houses of the city's residents. They go to Rahab's house and demand that she hand over the men. However, Rob lies and says that the spies have already left her house. 
After throwing the authorities off, Rob reveals to the spies that the city is frightened, which encourages them to proceed with the invasion plan. At this moment, Rob makes a request to the spies that, in return for her help, they spare her and her family's lives when the city is invaded. The spies agree, but set one condition, Rob must tie a red cord in the window of her house so that all the Israelite soldiers know that this house should not be attacked. As planned, the Israelites surround Jericho and, after seven days of divine strategy, the city's walls collapse. The Israelite army invades and conquers Jericho, but, as promised, spares Rob and her family thanks to the red cord in the window of her house. Rob's story teaches us that, even amidst adversity, it's possible to make brave and redeeming choices. After the invasion of Jericho, Rob and her family are taken by the Israelites and integrated into the new society. They leave behind their old life and embrace faith in God. Rob's story shows us how someone with a controversial past can find redemption and a fresh start. Her act of courage and loyalty is rewarded with acceptance and an opportunity to start over. Rob's story goes beyond her redemption and integration into Israelite society. In fact, she becomes a significant figure in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Rob marries Salmon, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah, and they have a son named Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth, a Moabite, and they have a son named Obed. Obed, in turn, is the grandfather of King David, from whose lineage Jesus Christ descends. Rob's story is a powerful lesson about redemption, faith, and courage. It demonstrates that our past does not need to define our future and that God's mercy is available to all, regardless of our prior actions. Now, as promised, here's the curiosity we mentioned at the beginning of the video. Did you know that the red cord used by Rahab is often seen as a symbol of redemption and salvation in the Judeo-Christian tradition? The red color represents the blood of the Passover lamb, a symbol of protection and salvation in the Old Testament, and later, the blood of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. This cord is a powerful reminder of how God's mercy and redemption can reach even the most unlikely. And that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this inspiring and surprising story. Thank you, Debbie. Really quite a story. I looked at a lot of videos, some of the kids' versions and all those things. I chose this one, and, and that's my quest. One of the things I do on Monday morning is try to find a video that I can use. And it takes two or three hours usually. And this is the only one that mentioned the red cord that was hung out the, the window. So that's, there's an important message there, so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But this is one of those stories where God just, he just moves in, doesn't he? Uses good people, and he uses people that maybe want to be good, but haven't made it yet. Rahab was literally a nobody. You know the social status of prostitutes. It's not a glamorous life at all. Interestingly, in ancient Jewish culture, it was acceptable to use prostitutes for the men. It, it was kind of a fluke, fluke, but the way they interpreted scripture and God's will. So uh, they were a necessary thing by some people's understanding. But anyway, so she was there in that role. So let's look at, look, uh, look at a little bit at her life. Rahab the woman, and this is the pattern for these messages, the person, and then the experience. 
And uh, nothing special about Rahab. I thought, there's going to be a lot of good stuff here. Nope. Just a streetwalker. Drugs, alcohol, physical violence. It's always been the same for those in that role. Not a pleasant life at all. Follow along with me, if you would, in Joshua chapter 2. I'll read the first 14 verses. Kind of a long section, but it's worth it. Joshua 2, verses 1 through 14. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men whom you have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Simple story. Joshua was getting ready to go in and take over the properties. Promised land, you know the story there. They've been looking forward to this forever. And there had been the Exodus experience. And there had been other things that had happened. And the Hebrew people, which were a mass of slave people wandering in the desert, were well known. And they conquered people they shouldn't have been able to conquer. They were underdogs. They were not trained soldiers. They were what was left over. Forty years wandering in the desert. They had aged out. All their good leaders had aged out. Joshua was there, of course, but there wasn't much of an army there. And say so they knew it was going to be hard. So they scoped out the town. The reason they went to the prostitute's house was nobody else in their right mind would let them stay because that was a death sentence. I mean, treason is punishable by death, typically. Rahab probably had had her fill of a corrupt government because in those days all governments were corrupt and they'd harassed her probably. So she was willing to go against them and risk her life. No secret, though. Isn't it interesting? They snuck in in dark, tried to find Rahab and stayed there. And the king knew where they were. Everybody talks in a town like Jericho, a walled-in place. We're not sure of how big it was. 
Estimates anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000 or more inhabitants. Some people say it was smaller. Don't really know. The walls around it were heavily fortified. Uh, very tall, 12 feet, 6 foot tall, thick at the base and thinner at the top. And the towers upon which the guards stood were 28 foot tall. So it was a kind of an imposing place. The spies looking at this great city wondered if they could do it. So they talked to Rahab and she hid them when the soldiers came to find them. And she told the story to the soldiers and sent them on a wild goose chase and, and they got away. In other words, they, they hid on her ceiling. Pretty believable, actually. When they got ready to leave, she said, Now, wait a minute. We, we need to make a deal. I need for you to save my family. See, it was kind of a, a foregone conclusion that the God of the Hebrew people was the Lord God. Remember, she said that. Your Lord God. And they knew that everybody was afraid. And so she knew that they were going to die. And so she said, Wait, I need for you to save my family. And they said, okay, we'll do that. As long as you keep your mouth shut and we can carry out things the way we need to do it, when we come and destroy the city, we will save you and your family. So there was that promise. The rest of the story is there was a siege. The soldiers of the Israelite army marched around seven days in a row, marched around the city in silence. On the seventh day, they marched seven times. They yelled and screamed, and the power of God destroyed the walls and the walls fell. The Hebrew people that were there, the soldiers went in and destroyed everybody and everything. And Rahab's family was saved. So I thought about this story and thought, okay, well what about Rahab? What do we know about her? So on screen are just some things we can find out about her. Number one, she was a survivor. Don't underestimate the grit of someone who is desperate to stay alive. In fact, in every story of humanity, I'm always surprised at how tough people can be when they've got no options. We talk about how brave people are and how they rose to the occasion. And sometimes they do that because they're brave. And sometimes they do that because they don't have any options. For her to do anything else would have been a death sentence. So this desperate woman, she went against all counsel and sided with the soldiers and sided against her people. Tough gal. I think of some of the daycare mamas, you know, I, I'm convinced that being a single mama is one of the hardest jobs on the planet. And I see some of the daycare mamas that there is this one, and Terry, can I, I'm thinking of Janelle. Janelle's a, a good woman. She's pretty large, got a sweet spirit, six kids, no man. And two sets of twins under five. Every day she gets out of the car. Hi, Pastor. Smile on her face. I don't know how she does it. She gets in and she leans over and she gets one kid on her hip and then she reaches in and she grabs the other one still in a car seat and she walks like this, like a one kid on the hip. And you know what he's looking like, you know. So he's doing that and she's tough and smiling the whole time and then she stands there as the other two boys climb out. They're a little bit older and they make it up the steps and they always block the steps because when they come in, it is a big deal. It is a circus. And she always smiles. Even when she's in a bad mood, she smiles and is gracious. And I always think, man, she is tough. And the other mamas with one kid, they go, wow, I can't complain at all about my life. You know, because they understand that she is just tough. So I take that image of a, a very tough woman under really hard circumstances and I kind of impose it on Rahab. Just 
tough and gritty. Maybe Rahab was like that. So there she is, tough woman. And then she listened to what others said about the Hebrew God. This had been the story. Now remember, this is 40 years after the crossing of the Red Sea, 40 years after the escape from Egypt. And they heard about these stories. Now she probably wasn't 40 years old herself, but her mama and daddy and the talk in the community was about that group of people. They had never seen them, but they were out in the desert somewhere. And they had a God who was big stuff. And people talk. And people were afraid. It's like, I guess, when we talk about the Soviet Union or China having a big army and the capacity to destroy, we're just a little bit afraid, not terrified, but we just hope that when the time comes, we'll be able to stand up to them. Probably the people in Jericho were like that about whoever those people were, the Israelites. They didn't know. They just knew that when they prayed, their God did stuff. And their God did the miraculous. And their enemies usually failed. So she heard, a, heard this story, grew up hearing these stories. And I think this last one, that her heart was open to God. Because when she had a chance to talk to these spies, she acknowledged, okay, your God is in control let me work with you. She could have done anything else. She could have told on him. She would have been a hero. But instead, and I like to imagine that maybe she was just desperate enough to be open to the God who was God. Some people find God because they're seeking. You know, they want God. They, they want a deeper life. They want a spiritual leader in their life and those kinds of things. And that's a very valid thing. I think sometimes people are open to God simply because they're desperate. They don't know what else to do. Their life is a train wreck and they know it. And everything about their life is just miserable. And sometimes I think those people are open to God simply because they're desperate for something else. I think probably Rahab was just desperate. Gritty, tough, unafraid. But she was at the end of her rope. So she made the deal. You know, the rest of the story. Something you need to grasp here from this story is you never know when God is going to work, do you? You never know. You never know what's going on in people's hearts. You never know who is open to God and who isn't. You never know who's seeking. You never know when someone is at the end of their rope. So be gracious and kind in all circumstances. As much as you can, treat people well. And if you can express something of faith, sometimes something about Jesus or something about how God has blessed you or God bless you or something like that, sometimes that's enough to start a conversation. I've done that before. I, I sometimes forget and sometimes I back off. But sometimes... I'll say something. And of course, people know I'm a preacher, so that kind of gives me a, an advantage in that department. But, but for you, with your neighbors and friends and family, you're not a preacher, so they're not afraid of you. They're not afraid they're going to get a, a full bucket of Jesus or anything like that, because people are afraid of that. But you can talk about the way your faith has made a difference. Don't ever shy away from that. You just don't know who's desperate and who's hungry. So God worked in the life of a very hardened woman. 
So that was Rahab the person. So on screen is the next one, Rahab the experience. If you would, Joshua chapter 6. Turn over there if you would please. Joshua chapter 6. I'll read verses 20 through 25. So the people shouted, and priests blew the trumpets, and it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great joy. And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed everyone in the city, man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she is out of there, as you sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. She has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. So there's that story. Look at verse 25 again. Rahab the harlot in her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. amazing, isn't it? Now remember this. The Hebrew people were just starting out and they could remember the hard times. Like they'd been through the hard times. The generation that was there had lived in the wilderness for 40 years. That's all they knew. They remember the stories of how Egypt was. Most of them couldn't remember that. But they wanted they wanted the nation to be good and pure and right. And that did not include a prostitute. But, because of what she had done, she changed the trajectory of her life and everybody in her family. That's one of the unsung stories of this story, isn't it? That somehow, this woman that was desperate and had just an openness to God that not only did she enable God's people to conquer this city, what she did, she allowed God into her family. And God changed everything for this people. So instead of being a prostitute in a prostitute's family in that culture, and probably the prostitutes supported the family in ancient impoverished cultures, that's the way it was, they went from that to being part of the Hebrew people. And it wasn't long before they just became one part of the Hebrew people that didn't have that separated. You know, uh, some people talk about the lineage of the Jews and the 12 tribes of Israel, and there's a lot to that. But in the early years, they would just absorb people. When they escaped Egypt, God's people plus escaped. Apiru, which became Hebrew, was just another word for slave or servant. So when the Hebrew people they escaped Egypt. It was just everybody, let's go. And everybody that wanted to go was invited. And they picked up people wherever they went. And Rahab was just one more of those people that they picked up. And this nation was growing, not just 
the old-fashioned way by having babies and keeping the bloodlines pure. That really wasn't that big a deal in the first few years. The first century or two, they just collected people, everybody. Before they got all educated, bloodlines and lineage really weren't that important. You know, sometimes when we get sophisticated and, and mature, things become important that never were before. And in this day and age, you know, those are things like that. But, but when we're talking about this situation, the fact that this prostitute and her family were brought in was just seemed like the right thing to do. God blessed her. On screen is something else I want you to read. Read this with me if you would. And to Solomon was born Boaz by Rahab. And to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth. And to Obed, Jesse. And to Jesse was born David the king. So this is where the story gets a big deal because in later centuries, the lineage of Messiah really was important. Like I said, when they, they got sophisticated and had time to sit down and have their priests and scholars and scribes get all this developed, they began to realize that lineage was important. So when they chronicled the lineage that went all the way back as far as they could, they found out, no, wait a minute, there's that prostitute. And they said, yes. You never know what God's going to do. You never know how God's going to work or who he's going to bless or who he's going to use. And in everybody's family and in every culture, there are people that that really were important at the time. And they shouldn't have been, but they were because they rose to the occasion. So in the middle of a group of people that by Jesus' day were really worried about lineage and purity and all those kinds of things, there was this story of this prostitute. Lineage of David, King David. Lineage of Jesus, Messiah. Wow. So God uses normal people for big things. Now, I don't think that Rahab really wanted or cared about being somebody in the Jewish lineage. That wasn't her goal. Her goal was just to save her family, remember. And so in an expression of basic faith, okay, I'm going to trust you, God. Uh, here we go. And in doing that, with a simple expression of faith and obedience, God placed her in a position where here we are, thousands of years later, talking about this prostitute that God was able to work through. Like I said, never, never be surprised about what God can do. So on screen are some great lessons. First, the, one of the obvious ones, God can keep his word. God's word here was, okay Rahab, if you help us, we will save your family. She didn't know. She was desperate. She knew that this God out there had destroyed everybody in the, in the midst of them. And she didn't know what else to do. So she said, okay, I'm going to trust your God and just, just trust what you, what you guys say. And I will help you. Like I said, she was just desperate to save her, mom, her mama and her daddy and all her family. And she found out that God is true to his word. When the spies spoke to her and said, we'll save your family. That was as if God himself had said it. And God kept his word. That's probably one of the bigger messages from this story. God keeps his word. God says, follow me. And I can work with you. I can make your life better. I can make you be better. I can help you have peace. I can help you work through this. 
And those are God's promises to you. He doesn't promise that it's going to be easy or anything like that. But he makes promises about what he can do with your life if you follow him. God's always kept that word. Another thing, your actions prove your expressions of faith. My brother used to say it like this, talk's cheap. You know what I mean, right? It's easy to say the right thing. But doing it is sometimes hard. For Rahab, it would have been one thing to say, I believe you, but look at my situation. That would have been the natural thing to do. Instead, she said, I believe you, and I'm going to help. You see, she took that extra step of action with her faith. It's one thing to say, I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Scripture. I think this is what God wants me to do. It's quite another thing to actually do it. When you do it, not only is God allowed to work with you and use you, it validates your expressions of faith. Like I said, anybody can talk about Jesus. But when you live it, that's when people notice. That's when your faith is validated. James said it like this, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Said that faith without works is dead. He was not saying that you're saved by your works. He was saying that when you work, you prove that your words about Jesus are true. When you say you're committed to God, that's great. But when you work for God's kingdom, you're proving that those words are valid. So think about that. You know, we have political leaders on both sides who say all the right things. And this is an election year. And aren't you happy that we get to listen to this nonsense for the next nine months? And it's going to be happy. And people who are running for every office are going to tell you what you want to hear, aren't they? They're going to say, I'll do this for you. Vote for me. And we've all been stung by that process, haven't we? Every one of us. We've believed he'll do it. He said it. I know he will. And then something happens and nope. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. God isn't like that. And he doesn't want you to be like that either. Say it. And then do it. On the next screen... God is sovereign and works in history to bring him out his will. Talk about this a lot. This just means God does whatever he wants. You know, we have rules, and I always laugh when I read a preacher saying that God can't do this yet because it's not time, or they try to predict what God's going to do and say he can't do this, he won't do that. And I just laugh because they don't know. God is God. God does what God chooses. He works to save people he loves, and he uses people that we would never use, like Rahab. And he can help a ragtag army overcome a superior foe. He's done it before. And he can work in people's lives and help them do things that they just can't do. One other thing about the red cord, the need for a blood sacrifice to cover sin is an image throughout Scripture. That red cord is that symbol that this is an act of God that will bring salvation to his people. And in that culture, in that time, everybody understood blood sacrifice because blood sacrifice wasn't anything new. Blood sacrifice was what everybody did. Every world religion has blood sacrifice in its past. They understood it. So God used the system that they understood. And he said, this is it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So explained the author of Hebrews. Leviticus explains it over and over. The shedding of blood in sacrifice to God offers you forgiveness. 
So this red cord, just a rope dyed red, there wasn't anything magical about it. It was just a red cord that would stand out against a drab wall, but it, they could have used any color, could have chosen any color, but they chose red because they were carrying out that symbolism of blood bringing life. One preacher called it the scarlet thread of redemption, where if you read the Old Testament and go all the way through it, and then go through the New Testament, there is this thread going from passage to passage, showing how shed blood leads to salvation, always through Jesus. Scarlet thread of redemption. I remember learning that a long time ago. So, this story has historical intrigue and all those kinds of things, but is a story of how God saves people. It's a promise that there will be this great story in the coming end, and through this sacrifice of Jesus, there is salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is that hall of fame where people of significance to Jewish history made it. Verses 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So there's that. Not only did her family gave, gain a place in a new people, not only did she gain recognition in the lineage of Jesus, in the church, when the author mentioned people that God had used in his salvation effort for humanity, they mentioned this prostitute. Yeah. If God can use a prostitute, someone who had nothing to offer except faith, if God can do that there, he can do that here. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, when you talk to people and they're down and out and they feel like they're failures, think of this story. Rahab was a failure. And God used her. And here we are, talking about her example of faith and obedience. On screen is one final thought. God is at work always seeking one with faith to answer his call. He is not limited by what you have done. Rather, he is concerned by what you will do for him. So when you pray, confess what you've done in the past, but don't get hung up on that. No incantations are necessary, no secret formula. Father, will you forgive me? Yes. Let's start over. And you can begin anew. And you can do that every day. So if you mess up today, you can get up tomorrow and start over. Don't play games. God knows if you're playing games. But if you're sincere and you're offering a life to him, he will use you and bless you and give you a place and you want that Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation just an invitation for you to say yes to God's leadership whatever God's wanting you to do let me encourage you to say yes follow him in your expression of faith don't get hung up on what you've done how you've failed just follow God and be obedient why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us
I belong to the King, I'm a child of His love. I shall dwell in His palace so fair. For He tells of its bliss in yon heaven above, and His children its splendor shall share. I'm a child of his love, and he never forsaketh his own. He will call me someday to his palace above. I shall dwell by his glorified throne. Thank you, Nate. Mike's going to come and lead us in prayer as he makes his way up here. Uh, remember that we have a Wednesday night Bible study beginning in a couple of weeks, so I hope you'll plan to come to that. It's Wednesday nights, the routine is we eat, and then we have about an hour Bible study. So I hope you come and be ready for that, and just continue to pray that God can work with you and through you. Mike, would you lead us, please? Dear Heavenly Father, be with us now as we go, and keep and protect us from harm. And Father, help us to do a good deed this week for someone else. And help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.